How do you want to be remembered? Think about that question for a minute. How do you want to be remembered? Just imagine, just think about if, if, if you could be a spectator at your own funeral. What would the pastor say about your life? If I did your funeral, what would I be able to say about your life? Maybe more importantly, what would people in the church say about your life? What would people you work with say about your life? What would your neighbors say about your life? How about your friends? What would your friends say about you? What would your family say about you? What is it that you would want people to say about you? I believe when it's all said and done, I believe that you would want people to say that you loved like God loves. At the end, I don't think you're going to want to have worked more. I don't think you're going to want to have lived in a bigger house. I don't think you're going to want to have made more money. I don't think you're going to want to have had a lower handicap or hunted more or even wore better clothes. When it's all said and done, I think, I believe that you are going to want to have loved like Jesus loved. This morning we continue our mini-series in the book of Romans, the mini-series that we've called the Ten Commandments of Love. So if you take your Bible and you turn to Romans chapter 12, we're going to continue Romans chapter 12 is found on page 920 in the Bible. If you picked one up on your way in, Romans 12 is found on page 920. Two weeks ago, we began this mini-series that we've entitled the Ten Commandments of Love, and we began in Romans 12, verse 9, and that first commandment is be sincere. The second commandment was found in verse 10, and the second commandment was be devoted. Now, let me remind you that as we look at these Ten Commandments of Love, we are thinking primarily about our relationships with one another. We're not primarily thinking about our relationship with God. We're we're thinking about how we love each other, how we love the people that we come in contact with, how we love our family, how we love our friends, how we love our coworkers, how we love fellow students that we go to school with how we love anyone we come in contact with, anyone, even the Shermans of this world. How is it that we are to love? So, if you want to be a person who is remembered as one who loved family, friends, and others, the real question for us this morning is how do you get there? How do you become a person who loves well? 
Not a person who's a workaholic, not a person who made a lot of money, not a person who has a nice house, not a person who has a five handicap, not a person who knocked down the 10-point buck, not a person who wears the nicest clothes. How do you become a person who loves well? The answer is you just do it. You just love others. That's the third commandment of love that we're going to look at this morning. Look at Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Again, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In essence, Paul here is telling us what it means to love others. How do I love others? You just do it. Be zealous in love. Verse 11 instructs us how to love. It instructs us how to do it. And in essence, it is saying, be zealous. And the nice thing about Romans 12, verse 11 is right in the verse, it gives us a three-point outline. So look at the three points we're going to be looking at this morning. Point number one, never be lacking in zeal. Point number two, keep your spiritual fervor. Point three, serving the Lord. First, love means never be lacking in zeal. This is a warning about being lazy. The literal translation is, In zeal, do not be lazy. The word zeal carries with it the idea of intense effort and motivation, doing something wholeheartedly with great enthusiasm. It is an attitude that leads to action. Now, sometimes crazy things are done in the name of zeal. We are all zealous about something in our lives. Some people are zealous about their work. Some people are zealous about making money. Some people are zealous about the home they live in, the clothes they wear, the car they drive, their activities like hunting or golfing. Some people are zealous about those things. But here in verse 11, Paul tells us that we are to be zealous about loving others, have an attitude that leads to action. Now, let me give you some words that go along with the word zeal that help us understand its meaning better. Speed, haste, passion, seriousness, urgency, eagerness, readiness, and dedication. On the other hand, this word lacking here can be translated as lazy. It's the idea of hesitating, delaying, being idle, lagging behind, or being slothful. Laziness is so serious that it is considered one of the seven deadly sins. One who is lazy will not begin things, will not finish things, and will not face things. Now think about this. You may think, well, that laziness, that idea of laziness, that's somebody else. But all of us by nature are prone to laziness. Each one of us don't like the idea of stepping out of our comfort zones to do something or stepping out of our comfort zones to do something for someone else unless it benefits us. We're prone to laziness. Think about this. 
somebody asks you to do something, and unless it benefits you, you tend to come up with excuses. Well, you know what? I don't quite have time for that. Or maybe you're asked to serve, and you think, well, you know, I, I used to serve. I used to volunteer in that area. But right now, that, that, that just doesn't work for me. I don't feel like doing that right now. Or maybe you've been serving and you think, well, I'm, I'm not going to continue to serve because I'm going to take some time off and give somebody else a chance. That's not love. Because genuine love is zealous. It's not lazy. It's an attitude that leads to action. Love is action. Love doesn't build up walls or barriers that prevent us from acting in the behalf of someone else. And it's important to note that love can be risky. Love can cost because there's always the fear of rejection. There's always the fear of being hurt by someone else that we offer our love to. But Paul here says, no, don't be lazy. Love is zealous. Love is an attitude that leads to action. Never be lacking in zeal. But what does it look like? I've given you some definitions about zealousness and about lazy, but what does it look like in real life? Jesus helps us with this. He tells a story in Luke chapter 10. So if you would, take your Bible, turn back to Luke chapter 10. It's found on page 843 if you're using one of the church Bibles. Now this is a story that many of us are familiar with. Luke chapter 10 beginning in verse 25, is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now listen along as I read. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, I love when Jesus tells a story. He tells such great stories, so succinct, so powerful, and so full of meaning. Here, an expert of the law is questioning Jesus. He asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus responds essentially two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. The expert in the law doesn't want to leave it there, and so he follows up. Now, let's give him the benefit of the doubt, and let's just 
let's just assume for now that he just wants to clarify his obligation. So he asks, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, responds with a story, a story about this man who's beaten, robbed, and left for dead. And then Jesus says, there's a couple people that should have helped him. The priest should have helped him. The Levite should have helped him, but neither of them helped him. But along comes this Samaritan man. Now note that Samaritan and Jews don't get along. Samaritans don't like Jews, and Jews don't like Samaritans. But the Samaritan stops to help the man who was beaten, robbed, and left for dead. Jesus, in telling this story, essentially answers that everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. But Jesus also here addresses another question that is not specifically asked in the text. And that question is, how do you love your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? The answer is zealously. You zealously love your neighbor. Jesus is saying, do not be lazy or indifferent like the priest or the Levite, but have an attitude that leads to action. Here, the Samaritan has an attitude that leads to action. Look at all of the things the Samaritan did for the man on the side of the road. Look at beginning in verse 33. He saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine on the wounds, put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, so that means he actually stayed overnight. The next day, he paid the innkeeper, promised to return, and promised further reimbursement. The good Samaritan here has an attitude that leads to action. He was clearly zealous. There's not an ounce of laziness in the Samaritan man. By my count, he did 13 things for the injured man. He did 13 things that demonstrated his zealousness. He did 13 things that demonstrated his love. He had an attitude that led to action. Never be lacking in zeal. Be zealous. For you and for me, the story of the Good Samaritan is a great example. It demonstrates us to us that zealous love requires action. Now think about this for a minute. It doesn't say this in the text, but as the priest or the Levite are walking by, they may have prayed for the man. They may have spoken a blessing over him. Now, they may just have walked by and completely ignored him. But what we know for sure is they did not act. They did not demonstrate their love through actions. The example for us out of the Good Samaritan is zealous love requires action. Now, keep in mind, this is an example of the Good Samaritan coming to the aid of a person who is broken and hurt. So for you and me, we are to come to the aid and demonstrate zealous love to individuals who are broken and hurt. But don't get completely lost in the story because there are people around you every day who are not necessarily broken and hurt, but who God instructs us to demonstrate zealous love to through our actions. You have family members, you have a wife, maybe a husband, maybe a son, maybe a daughter, maybe a parent 
who God is asking you to demonstrate zealous love towards. A coworker who God is asking you to demonstrate zealous love towards. How is it that you are going to act to demonstrate love to the individuals that God places in your life, whether they're broken and hurt or whether they don't appear to be broken and hurt on the outside? Family, friends, co-workers, all the people that God puts in your path, he is asking you to demonstrate zealous love through your actions. Never be lacking in zeal. Back to Romans 12. Number one, never be lacking in zeal. Second, love requires us to keep our spiritual fervor. Excuse me. In essence, Paul is doubling down on his first instruction. Do not be lacking in zeal. In fact, keep up your spiritual fervor. Now think about this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. If we're instructed to keep up our spiritual fervor, it means that there is a danger of losing our spiritual fervor. Again, we have to guard against laziness. Paul is saying, keep up the passion, keep up the intensity, keep up the focus of your love towards one another. Do not be lazy. He's stepping up the command. This phrase literally reads, in the spirit boiling over. The Greek word for fervor means the sound that water makes when it comes to a boil. It can also refer to the glow of metal when it's heated hot. There's a great intensity to this instruction. Keep up the effort. Keep up the focus on God and what God desires of you. And God desires that you love one another. That you are passionate about your love for one another. In 1 Corinthians 13, another great definition of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, look what Paul writes there. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. God desires that we love one another to the point of boiling over. Here, Paul is not describing someone that needs to be arm-twisted to love one another, to love others. He's not referring to someone who has to be forced to have an attitude that leads to action. He's refer not referring to someone who is lazy and unwilling to act. Rather, here, Paul is describing someone who is boiling over in love for one another, boiling over to the point that they likely need to be counseled to stop focusing on loving somebody else, to stop, focus on, to stop focusing so intensely on acting on behalf of somebody else. They're the kind of person that needs to be told, hey, you need some time for yourself. That's not what Paul's saying here. Paul says, love somebody to the point of boiling over. Wouldn't it be great if when people looked at you, when people looked at me, they thought, man, that person is crazy loving other people. They need to be counseled to, to take time for themselves. 
Wouldn't it be great if people looked at us as a church and said, Calvary Church, now that place, they love other people. That's what God is saying here. Love others to the point of boiling over in that love. There's a man by the name of Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott in 1956, at the age of 28 years old, was murdered with with four other men as he was trying to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Aka Indians in South America. And Jim Elliott is a man who was boiling over in love for others. He so desperately wanted to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people who had never heard the gospel. If you haven't read his story, if you haven't read the story of these men, I strongly encourage you to do so. His wife, Elizabeth Elliot, wrote the book Through Gates of Splendor that tells the story of the murder of these five young men. And in that book, she reveals some of the things that that her husband, Jim, wrote in his diary. And this is one of the things that Jim wrote in his diary prior to going to share the gospel with the Aka Indians. He wrote, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. The italics are in the original. Be all there. When you see something that's the will of God for your life, are you all there? Are you all there? I said we're prone to laziness. Each one of us is prone to laziness, and sometimes we just let life happen. Jim Elliott is making the point that whatever God has called you to do, and he has called you to love others, Whatever it is he has called you to do, be all there. Or how about Jonathan Edwards? Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century theologian and pastor, when he was young, when he was a young man, a young man, he wrote 70 resolutions for his life. And this is the sixth resolution that he wrote, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolve to live with all my might while I live. Do you and I, do we live with all our might? Are we all there? Do we live with all our might? Jim Elliott, Jonathan Edwards, they are boiling over in the spirit in love for other people. That's what Paul is saying here. Boil over in love for other people. Now, perhaps you're thinking, you know what, Tom? That's just not me. I get that for the type A personalities. I get that for you zealous types. I'm just kind of laid back. I'm chill. I'm kind of mellow. I don't really do those things. God doesn't give you that option. He's not talking about personality type here. The book of Romans is addressed to all the Christians in Rome, all the Christians in Rome. He has written this book of Romans to each one of us here this morning, regardless of personality type, regardless of whether you're male or female, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, regardless of whether you're black or white. He doesn't care. He has written this book to each one of us. And the instruction to be passionate, boiling over in love for everyone that comes into your path is for each one of us. I know. 
I know that there is something in your life that you are passionate about, even if you're not a type A. You may be passionate about work. You may be passionate about making money. You may be passionate about hunting. You may be passionate about golfing. You may be passionate about politics. You may be passionate about cooking. I know there is something that you are passionate about. God says, be passionate, be zealous, be boiling over about loving other people. Demonstrate that. As we've gone through this book, as we've gone through the book of Romans, these, the first 11 chapters primarily, Paul is shouting from the rooftops the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And essentially what he is doing is he is rallying the troops to get excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that while we were yet sinners, God rescued us. That is something to be excited about. The fact that nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ, from the love of God when you are in Christ Jesus, that is something to be excited about. The fact that God's mercy and grace saved you from your sin, that is something to be excited about. And what Paul is saying now that he's come to Romans chapter 12, verse 11, is he's saying respond to what God has done for you with passion and excitement in regards to loving other people. God loved you first. God loved me first. So we can love others. But what if you just can't? What if you just can't love others? Now, I know I said that there's really no excuse, that everybody's passionate about something. I know I said it didn't matter your socioeconomic level, your gender, your I know I said those things, but what if it's really difficult? What if it's really difficult for you to love other people? That brings us to the third phrase of verse 11. Serving the Lord. Now this phrase, serving the Lord, is closely linked to the previous phrase, which leads me to believe that Paul is underscoring the importance of zeal and passion in our spiritual lives and in our service to God. Now, at first, at first I struggled to see how this phrase fit with loving others. You know, we've said in this mini-series that these Ten Commandments of Love are primarily about our relationships with each other. They're primarily about loving each other. They're not primarily about our relationship with God. But we've said that there are connections in these verses about how we love God. So when I first came to this phrase, serving the Lord, I thought to myself, well, maybe this is the connection on how we are to love God in the midst of loving others. Maybe this is about our relationship with God. Something like, oh, if I serve the Lord, that will be my demonstration of love to Him. Now, maybe that's the explanation of this phrase, but I don't think so. I actually think that this phrase, serving the Lord, is directly connected to our relationship with others and specifically connected to how we love others zealously and how we boil in love, how we boil over in love for others. Paul here seems to emphasize that a person who knows how to love is a person 
whose love comes from God and is motivated by love for God. Our spiritual lives and our interpersonal lives are interconnected. They are connected to each other. Spiritual lives and our personal lives are connected. Zealous love is something that happens supernaturally. If we are drifting from God, we will be drifting in our ability to love other people. If we are taking, if we are not taking our spiritual walk with God seriously, it will be difficult to love others that come in contact with us, that God brings into us, God brings into our past. You see, the two go hand in hand. Our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. Paul says to us in other places, whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Now, serving God ultimately means that we are to serve others. So here's the connection. When this phrase says serving the Lord, I believe that it means that when we serve the Lord, when we serve God, we come to love others. Now, let me explain. This past Monday... I got back from a trip to Tanzania, Africa. I was on a mission trip with six other people from Calvary Church, and we went to Mwanza, Tanzania to teach at the Mwanza Bible Institute. So the six of us go, the seven of us go on this trip in order to teach at this Bible school, to meet with pastors, to meet with their families, to provide lessons from the Bible, and to provide encouragement to these people. Now, there's some of the people that are on the mission trip that are, that are in this service this morning right now, and they're a little nervous because they're not exactly sure what I'm going to say about them and about the trip. I was just told to watch out. We joked on the trip, what was I going to say? I joked, I said, I'm going to include you in the sermon. That makes people nervous. So, but don't worry, what happens in Mwanza stays in Mwanza. So, not really, we're going to talk about Mwanza. So, we're there and we're on this trip. And there's something interesting that happened on this trip to me, personally. Now, our connection while we were in Mwanza, our connectivity back here to the States was very limited. For me personally, I had a difficult time connecting to my emails. I had a difficult time connecting with my night wife. But on the second to the last night, I receive a text from my wife. And that text reads, do you love your students? Do you love your students? Now, that kind of came out of the blue because we weren't texting about the students. We were kind of texting about the trip. We were texting about the fact that she missed me terribly. <laughs> so it kind of comes out of the blue. Do you love your students? And I had a pause for a minute. And here's why. I didn't go on that trip because I loved anyone. Because I, now I know that sounds harsh, but what happened was, is a few months before the trip, somebody came up to and asked me if I would be willing to go to Mwanza, Tanzania to teach at the Mwanza Bible Institute. Now, I didn't want to go to Africa. I didn't want to go to Tanzania. I didn't want to go to the Mwanza Bible Institute to teach. But after I spent some time praying and thinking about 
this opportunity that was presented, I believed that God was asking me to go to Africa. So I ended up going to Africa to serve the Lord. I didn't go to Africa because I loved the people in Africa. I know it sounds harsh. I went to Africa to serve the Lord. But here's what happened. By the time that Jen sent me that text, do you love your students? Guess what was happening? I was starting to love those students. Not just kind of some, hey, I love you. No, I was starting to love these people that God had brought into my path. Why? Because God miraculously placed that love in my heart because I went to serve him. That's what God does. That's why this phrase is here. You may not love the people that God places in your path, but if you recognize that that love is for serving the Lord, God is going to place that love in your heart for those individuals. That's what God does. He will help you love people if you, in obedience, step out to serve Him. So you may not like little kids, you may not like serving in the nursery. But if God is calling you to serve him in the nursery, go serve him in the nursery because what he is going to do is he is going to place his love in your heart so you will actually love those little kids. You may not love old people. But guess what? If you serve the Lord by stepping out in obedience and doing what he's asking you to do and serving somebody that's older than you, He is going to miraculously place zealous love that boils over with intensity and passion into your heart so that you can love those people. So there is no excuse. Well, I don't do that because I really don't like those people. God says, never be lacking in zeal. Boil over in fervency. And serving the Lord. In serving the Lord... He will give you love for the people that he places in your path. How do you want to be remembered? I look around here this morning. I see some people that are six. I see some people that are 16. Some of you are 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. I don't care how old you are. Today is a new day. How do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered because you worked really hard at your job? Do you want to be remembered because you made a whole lot of money and lived in a nice house or you were a great golfer or a super hunter or you wore really nice clothing? I believe that you want to be remembered as a person who loved like God loves. Never be lacking in zeal. Boil over in fervency, serving the Lord.
May God give each one of us strength to love the people that he places in our path.